0: my name is zach wilson and i am your conference coordinator and i'd like to welcome you to the 10th annual bridge conference <laughs> now welcome to a live episode of please speak freely the podcast where we have honest conversations about youth development and education I have- Thanks, Zach. Good morning. I want to take a a moment to give you a sense of what we're about to experience, because this is unusual in conference settings, in a big plenary session like this. What you usually get in conferences is uh, very polished speakers, people who make public presentations for a living, people who make speeches for a living, and people who have others who support them, in writing those speeches and in presenting. Um, Unfortunately, though, there's sort of a a paradox with that because those of us who are out on the conference circuit doing speeches like this are often several steps removed from the actual work of youth development, from the actual work of day-to-day working with young people in schools and community uh, programs. And so what we wanted to do today was bring to the stage a group of people who, uh, much like most of you, are practitioners who work with young people every day and who um, run programs that are working with young people every day in less-than-perfect situations, right? This here in this conference room, this is about as close as we can get to perfect. It's climate-controlled. We have coffee. We've got a sound system that works. We've got a beautiful lighting situation. But are your schools and community programs as perfect as all this in this conference center? Most Most of them aren't, right? So um, we want to actually have a real conversation with people who are doing this work every day. And what that means is I want to ask for your generosity and your patience because we might not have our words all perfectly picked out. We might not have the best exact way to say exactly what we want to say. So we're going to struggle through it together and be able to have a conversation about what it really means to shift from the traditional student-teacher relationship to youth-adult partnerships. So it's going to be a little bit messy, it might be a little meandering, we might go off on some tangents, but I want to ask you to stick with it, because the struggle of of doing that is the work. And the the more we struggle that way, the more we allow young people to struggle in really taking positions of leadership and really being able to make authentic choices, and really learning how to make decisions by making decisions, not just by learning skills um, that they may be able to use in making decisions one day. So are you all with me? Great. So, because we're focusing on empowering youth voice, I want to start things off by um, bringing to the stage um, a young person who you heard a little bit from yesterday, and if you went to his breakout session, you heard a little bit more. Um, In a moment, I'm going to bring up Nikhil Goyal. Nikhil Goyal is a 17 year old student um, at Syosset High School in Long Island, New York. Uh, He recently published a book called One Size Does Not Fit All about creating a learning revolution to really. take apart the traditional paradigm of schooling and of uh, teacher-student relationships and really bring the subjects together, break down walls, and create an experiential learning environment for the 21st century. Um, He has spoken at TED conferences all over the world. I should say TEDx conferences all over the world. That's the TED franchise. Um, He has spoken before many people, but I I will tell you um, the most recent example, which to me really exemplifies... Um, the courageous young man that Nikhil is, and that is that he recently got to present at NBC's Education Nation, which many of you may have seen on TV, a lot of you are nodding. Um, and because he was speaking there, he got the opportunity to be in the audience as well. And he was in the audience when Mitt Romney was on the stage. And I was expecting someone to boo or hiss or something like that, like, like when the villain comes up in those old movies. Um, my apologies to anyone that I just offended. Um, and when Nikhil got the mic... He asked Mitt Romney quite directly, what are you going to do about the epidemic of high-stakes testing creating an environment in our schools which is not conducive to learning and is killing creativity? He asked him point blank in point-blank a very respectful and polite way. Um, and, you know, I was less than satisfied with Mitt Romney's answer. Um, but I was so excited for Nikhil to, have that, to take that opportunity um, where he could actually speak truth to power and speak his truth as his own experience as a young person growing up um, in today's world and in today's school. So without further ado, here is Nikhil Goyal.
1: I got to hire him for my introductions. <laughs> um, no, thank you so much for having me. And it was, it's been a really great, uh, yesterday was a really great experience and um, Thank you for really having me at this conference. Um, one thing I just want to say briefly, um, I don't go to many conferences where there are young people attending. So I think this is a really fresh perspective that uh, we're bringing together all these different types of people. I think this should happen more often across the country. Uh, so I really commend Zach for that. I really appreciate that. So let me, I briefly talked about what my story is yesterday, but let me go into a little bit more detail. So it really started in the summer of 2010. I went on a family trip to India, and I was looking at the school system there. I was just really curious. I had a lot of conversations with educators, parents, students, um, and some policymakers, and I really understood what their frustrations were with the school system. I took those conversations, and I put them in the back of my head, and I didn't really think much of it. After I came back to the United States, I moved from uh, from, Long- from Bethpage, New York, to Siasa, New York, Uh, So, Sayasin, New York is um, where I go to school. It's a public high school. It's very competitive, uh, high-ranking, a lot of testing. People are very anxious to get into these Ivy League and prestigious universities. So, when I got to the school, I realized that I wasn't learning anything that was really relevant to my education. I was being told to memorize uncanny amounts of information, uh, stay up until 2 or 3 in the morning to finish homework, and I found that my health was deteriorating. I was having, not having enough sleep. And I was learning so much more in just a few hours outside of school than I was learning in weeks and weeks of schooling. So I was, everything started to hit me at some point. I, those conversations from India, uh, my experiences in school. And then I started to go on a quest. I talked to a lot of students. And that's something you don't really hear often. People don't talk to students because... Either they think they don't have an opinion or they, they think their opinion is just not val- um, valuable or valid to the conversation. And I think that's very wrong. So I, what I did was I went to a lot of students. I just spoke, to them, spoke with them um, and really thought and understood what their frustrations were. And many of them were very similar to mine. Um, so I, I continued that for a long time. I started doing a lot of research and I realized that first, education, as many of you know in this room, is really messed up in so many ways. Um, and second, that students were not even allowed to participate in the conversation. I bring up this analogy. Um, at Thanksgiving, you have the adults table and then you have the kids table. So all the kids get the turkey and the mashed potatoes and then they finish and then the adults come along or they have adjoining tables. But what happens is that at the, at the adults table, they're talking about politics, the election, um, uh, what's going on in the world today. And at the kids' table, uh, there's not much banter going on. It's just jokes and, and playfulness. So I think that's, what hap- that's what's happening in education today. We have the adults' table and we have the kids' table. But we should be conjoining them together. We should be having conferences and events like this where we're allowing young people to speak out. I'm, one thing I, I say profoundly in, in, in my book is that I'm not an expert. I'm not even close to one. But I think that with my 13 years of schooling, um, I give a fresh perspective to the conversation. Um, one thing that I've, I've looked at, at least in creativity and the study of creativity and uh, how young people are really impacted by it, uh, young people, what one creativity expert told me, are natural outsiders. They're not cynical with expertise. They haven't been in this field for many years. They've, they haven't been really corrupted um, by, the, by a bureaucracy or a government but so what they give is this new ideology and this fresh voice on the, on the issue. So I think in every single conversation that we're having, it may be on the energy crisis or health care or education, we should be allowing young people to give their voice. Sometimes it might, might be wrong. Sometimes you, they may be ignorant. But when you give that young person a voice, it changes their life forever. Um, so what I think also, at least in, in my book, and how we should be changing education is that we should be learning really by doing. That's what John Dewey said, and many people have said before. And I think that's the best way to learn. For my entire life, I've been self-directing my learning. Uh, from when I was very young, I, my mother just took me to the library and started instilling the love of reading uh, with me. I was just addicted to my library card because I'd check out all these books at the same time. And she would always say that I was carrying around um, carrying a book in my hand. So I was at the dinner table at at uh, dinner parties, all, all the time. So what that, really, what that really instilled with me was this love of learning and this passionate um, uh, vibe for um, learning more things over and over again. So what I really heeded to were the words of Mark Twain. Uh, I never let my um, schooling interfere with my education. <laughs> so I learned about politics. I went to events. I went to conferences. I spoke with uh, a lot of people in education, and what I realized was that a lot of people were very receptive. They were thrilled that a young person was speaking out for the first time on education, um, which is very rare in general. So I spoke with people like Diane Ravitch, uh, Deborah Meyer, Alfie Cohn, a lot of progressive educators. And I think right now, as we saw with, I bring up the uh, example of the Chicago Teachers Union strike, is that public education is really under assault. Um, after-school programs are being cut, uh, budget, it's it's true. I mean, it's it's absolutely ludicrous, and I think um, you see this across the country, and it really makes no sense to me, at least from a a 17-year-old perspective, that we're really killing the next generation by putting these cuts on these various programs. Um, So what I realized in these past few years and um, with the Chicago Teacher Strike is that this is really a tipping point in education today. Uh, We have... A number of paths to take. We can go on a path where we have more testing, more ruthless accountability, teacher bashing, cutting programs, or we could take another path. Um, we could start by treating kids like natural learners, letting adults and kids have a mutual, mutual partnership where they're communicating about their education, or we have kids working in the real world doing projects and real-world experiences. And um, I think one thing that we have to shift to, we have this really anti-this, anti-that kind of dialogue that's occurring in America today, anti-merit anti-testing. I think we need to shift towards showing people, as many of you have in your communities, and your, your schools today, what works. If we show people that this is really what's working in education, these are, our kids are being motivated each and every day. They love going to our schools. They love going to our programs. That will change the tempo of the dialogue on our conversation today because when people love going to school, when kids love going to school each and every day, that's when we know the system is really finally working. So I think we need to shift the dialogue. We have to get away from anti-this, anti-that and show people these are the true models of education. This is where kids are learning. uh, They're passionate about what they're doing. They're leveraging creativity um, and adults are being respected. They're paid enough. Uh, They're given autonomy and there's a a mutual respect among kids and adults. And that's really the vision I have for the future. And I share that with many of you today. Uh, So I thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Nikhil.
0: What we're going to do now is we're going to have some conversations. And we're going to have uh, three conversations, well, really one in three parts. We're going to look at how we can shift to a youth-adult partnership at all three levels of schooling, elementary school, middle school, and high school. And we have representatives here who I'm going to speak with, um, both uh, particip- youth participants, former youth participants, and, uh, and educators, after-school educators, um, who are going to grapple with some of these issues. Um, I want to ask you to also engage in the conversation by thinking about what questions or comments uh, these conversations raise for you, and we'll have some time in a little while to take some of those comments and questions as well. So um, the first uh, group I'm going to bring to the stage is, uh, is a youth-adult partnership um, here in, in, in living form um, of uh, Sherry Frantilla of Communities and Schools in Cheney, Washington. She's the site coordinator of the after-school program and wears many other hats like most of you do as well, Um, and Kenny Beebe, who is an eighth grade student at Cheney Cheney Middle School, no, Westwood, Westwood Middle School, she recently moved schools, Um, Westwood Middle School, Um, and a participant in the mentoring program at Communities in Schools, Um, so I want to bring Kenny and Sherry to the stage. So I want to start out, Sherry, by asking you a couple of questions so you can kind of frame the conversation a little bit, and then Kenny's going to talk about her experience a little bit as a, as a participant um, in the program, and I, and I didn't look at my notes, so I didn't mention that it's the Champions Mentoring Program of Communities and Schools. Um, Communities and Schools runs many programs, and the Champions Mentoring Program is one of them. So Sherry, could you just talk a little bit about how does the Champions Mentoring Program uh, create youth-centered programs?
2: Thank you. Yeah, the Champions Mentoring Program is really structured around two primary goals. The first goal is to provide an opportunity for youth to engage in a supportive relationship with a trusted adult. And we do that by partnering our youth with an adult in the community. Um, The second main goal is to provide a voice for those youth and an opportunity for them to lead. And we do that through a variety of different things. The structure of our program, it's an after-school program, it's completely site-based. And what happens each session is kind of like a typical ebb and flow of um, format of the program. And we begin with opening circles in small groups. Um, We have an icebreaker. We have an opportunity for youth to work in small groups to plan um, and brainstorm. We offer a large group activity as a whole collective group. Um, We then offer um, a snack time, a quiet time, and then there's one-on-one mentor match time before we conclude with a reflection in a closing circle. And I mention all those things to you because youth voice and leadership is woven into every single component of that program. Youth lead the icebreakers. Youth conduct the opening circles. They plan those large group activities. And that's one of the things I think is really powerful in the program is that the youth don't only make choices around what they're going to do, but they also make choices around how they're going to experience those things. Um, Can I tell you a little bit about the large group activities really quick? Is that okay? Um, Large group activities is a big part of the program. It takes up about 30 minutes every day. And the youth at the beginning of the program are given essentially like a toolkit. So they learn how to plan. They learn how to brainstorm. They learn how to generate ideas. And they're also given a concept. Um, One year, our concept was, where are you going? And they were future thinking, thinking about what they wanted to do after middle school and beyond high school. Um, So kids then, with that concept, planned what they wanted to explore further or what they wanted to engage others in. And then they would facilitate a large group activity with the whole entire group. And that's pretty awesome. And every single youth in that program has an opportunity to be a leader. And this past year, our um, theme was sparks. And so again, it's introducing a concept and allowing the youth to decide how they're going to explore and create from that.
0: So and that's actually just what we want to talk about in, in our conversations that we've had over the last couple months. Um, this idea of sparks um, came up as something that, that really seemed to um, be a, a passion for both of you. And I just want to ask you, um, Sherry, could you just describe very briefly what just what is sparks? What does sparks mean?
2: Yeah, uh, the sparks is a concept that we found through the Search Institute, and it's um, a spark is really something that just makes you feel sort of like energized and excited, and um, it's kind of your purpose. You know, it makes you feel happy to wake up every day, and it's um, that thing that just makes you kind of feel alive. My spark is helping others. I bet some of you out there probably share that spark. Yeah.
0: So, so Kenny, um, can you talk a little bit about uh, about sparks? What did what did you do in sparks?
3: Well, we did a couple of things. Like, one of the things we did was we had group activities, and my activity was fruit bouquets, because a lot of the people in there liked to cook. Mm -hmm. I didn't get to lead the activity, because I wasn't there. I was out that day. But we planned it all. We had note cards for all of us to know what we were going to say, and it was kind of just put in front of us. Like, we knew everything we were going to do.
0: And when you say it was put in front of you, who, who put it in front of you?
3: We kind of thought it up. Like, we all, my group, we all liked art and we all liked cooking. And that's kind of where we got the idea of fruit bouquets mm-hmm. is because it's simple and it's artistic.
0: Mm-hmm. And so the ideas came from from you and your your peers, your friends in the program. But what was the role of the mentor? How did your mentor help you to sort of guide you along the way
3: our mentors kind of just led us like in the right direction they kind of just pushed us to where we would be there and we wouldn't be off task they kind of just helped us stay on task and made it to where we were following the directions and being
0: there and in, in terms of the sparks thing uh, I remember you and I talked about this a little bit um, just the process of trying to find your spark, right? Trying to find your passion. What What was that like for you? Did you find your spark?
3: I did not find my spark, but m- a lot of my peers did. Not a lot, but a couple of my peers did. And I saw that most people liked the art idea.
0: Mm-hmm. And what was it like for you? You worked with your mentor on trying to find your spark, right? Yes. So what was that like? What was that work?
3: It was, it was hard, but really easy at the same time. Mm-hmm. It was exciting, and it was nice to be able to compare things with. And she showed me her spark, and her spark is she got to meet a singer. And I thought that was really cool. So I thought that if her spark is that, then I can't wait to find mine.
0: And and for both of you, Sherry and Kenny, one of the things that was really interesting to me about this Sparks process is that, you know, when, I, when we were first talking about it and I said, I asked Kenny that question, did you find your spark? I realized that I was definitely um, anticipating her to say yes, to know exactly what it was. And, and she said, no, I'm still looking, I'm still working on it. And for me, that really seemed to indicate that it's an authentic process. It's not an activity that you did. Like you said, you got the original idea from, from Search Institute. And a lot of times when something comes out of a, an organization, you follow the curriculum. And so everyone's going to find their spark by the end of the week. Um, and if you don't find it, then you just, you know, d- decide on one, right? But but what you described was something much more organic and, and felt very real. So I'm just wondering, like... Is that is is my understanding of it correct? And if so, how does that look in your program? How do how do the adults feel about the sort of open-endedness of it? Sure, either of you, really.
2: Did you have input on that? No, I definitely think the process is really organic, and I think where we move is the direction that the youth want to move, and it's based upon their readiness to move. And so I think we're always gauging and getting reflection about, are you ready to move forward? Do we need to spend more time here? And also meeting the needs of our youth across systems. So, um, you know, we frequently would line up who has, which end of the room are you on if you found your spark, you're not sure what your spark is, or, you know, you definitely haven't found it. And so we're just always kind of gauging where youth are and then trying to offer them the tools they need to be successful. It's really, I think of mentoring as really just guiding them in their own process. Mm
0: -hmm. Do you, do you find that some adults feel like they, they sort of are, want to pressure the kids to, who haven't found their spark to, to get on with it already? Or is there sort of an embracing of the process in that way?
2: I think there's an embracing of the process. Yeah. I have to say that it's pretty easy for us, and it does sort of just unfold organically because I think all of us have a mutual understanding that our number one primary focus is the youth that we serve. Like they are it, and it's all about them, and um, we just try to meet them where they are. hmm
0: and um, Sherry, you've you've talked about that communities and schools runs many different programs, and that. Um, so my question for you is: Are are all the programs, uh, all the programs activities as, as youth centered as the Sparks activity?
2: That's a really good question. I I wish I could say yes that they are, but the truth is no, they aren't. Um, we began to engage in the YPQ process. A while ago, we received a wonderful Rakes Foundation grant. Can we grant, spell it
0: out? Because not everybody necessarily um, knows what YPQ is. Youth
2: program quality. So we began to assess our mentoring program. And so we really looked at that, like, with a laser beam focus. And almost immediately after engaging in that um, program, we attended our first basics training, and we began to make changes. And can I talk about that a little bit? Please do. So... Yeah. When we started out that process, I would have told you that I was the poster child for youth voice and choice. I mean, I thought that I embodied it. But what I realized really quickly is that I was still controlling all the outcomes for our youth. So it's kind of like my four-year-old son. I say, do you want the red shirt or do you want the blue shirt to go with your sailor shorts? And I know that the outcome, the desired outcome, is that my son is going to leave with a matching outfit. That is what I hope Mm -hmm. that will happen. But I don't just say, what would you like to wear today? Because I'm controlling the outcome. I don't want him to go out in hot pink shorts in a zebra top. I just don't want that. But I'm controlling the outcome. And that's what we did with our youth. We offered them choice in a very limited controlled capacity. Mm -hmm. And what we learned is that we needed to start to let go. And we needed to be okay that the results weren't the results that we as adults desired. Mm. But that it was about the process that the youth were engaging in. And all the benefits that they had from doing that.
4: Yeah.
0: It's so interesting the way you put it that way because it's so tangible that, you know, you're offering two choices that are either outcome is acceptable to you as opposed to offering them an authentic choice where they can choose something that you don't necessarily agree with and it can still be okay.
2: Yeah. The answer to that question was no, all of our programs don't look like that. And I'm sorry I got sidetracked, but – That program looks like that because we took the time and we invested the time in really looking at the process and really making honest changes. All of my programs don't look like that program do, but my hope and my goal is that they will. And I'm I'm committed because of the amazing results. Like our youth engagement is through the roof as a result of allowing youth to have a voice in that and having ownership over it. And so I'm hoping Kenny will help me in making our other programs just as effective as that program is.
0: And I want to thank you for being honest and transparent in that because if we if we all just um try to put the best face on everything and say that our best program is the is representative of everything that we do, it feels like we can't really have the kind of struggle and have the kind of conversations where we can really make progress. So um you know, I appreciate you being honest with yourself first and foremost, but but with the rest of us as well. It's it's um it's a certain kind of bravery, and I appreciate that. And um, um, let's hear it for, for Kenny Beebe and Sh- Sherry Frantilla. <laughs> Jeannie Washington. Next up to the stage, we're going to um, move up. Oh, I, I didn't actually mention that we started in the middle with middle school, um, which might seem like a uh, strange choice rather than starting at the beginning or, or the end or whatever. But we started in the middle because everyone always talks about how middle school is, is the hardest age and the hardest, you know, kids to work with and all that stuff. So we wanted to start in the middle right with that. Many people feel that youth leadership um, and opportunities for young people to really be involved with making decisions is for older kids. But there's a lot of programs out there who do this kind of work with younger kids, um, I am in a moment going to bring to the stage Lorena Guzman, who is a youth-adult partnership in one person. Lorena started at LA's best after-school enrichment program in Los Angeles, California, when she was in second grade. Um, She was a youth participant there throughout her elementary school years. Um, She stayed involved through middle and high school as a volunteer and a friend, and then was recruited um, by her former site coordinator, who is here with us today, Guillaume Pelito, to come back and be on staff at L.A.'s Best several years ago. uh, She's now a program coach who uh, supervises uh, six different L.A.'s Best programs in six different schools. So she has the perspective of a young person who went through the program and a staff person who works at the program. So let me bring to the stage Lorena Kuzman. Lorena, come on up. The, The philosophy of L.A.'s Best, and full disclosure, I used to work there and still do some work with them. Um, The philosophy is that no activity is as important as the effect that it has on the child. I'm going to say that again because it takes a moment to sink in. No activity is as important as the effect that it has on the child. Can you talk a little bit about what that means for you?
5: Yes, of course. Good morning, everyone, and good morning, Eric. Thank you for having me. Um, You know, in LA's best, uh, everything we do and anything we do uh, really is to see an outcome. Um, we have an objective uh, for our activity time, our club time, our uh, nutrition, uh, nutrition time. Um, so we, we really embody that notion of the outcome. So what is the student going to leave with today? What did, you know, uh, Susie uh, get out of our program today? What is she taking home, and how is she going to apply this uh, in her life in the future?
0: And But when it says that nothing's as important as the effect it has on the child, um, does that mean that the outcome um, that you had planned for that day is necessarily the outcome that you end up with?
5: No, not at all. Um, you know, we, everything is uh, full of surprises. You know, um, we have a goal. We have a common goal. We create an objective. And uh, a lot of times, you know, it, the outcome is completely different to what we thought. And it's, base, it's based on what the students... Uh, direction is and where they're going. So let's say we have planned an activity um, and we as the adults have a set goal in mind uh, with, you know, keeping their interests in mind, but at the end of the day it may be something completely different you know, than uh, what we planned. So it's a surprise every day and it's it's, uh, as a staff, it's an amazing experience to, to see this happening every day. Um, we have 20 students in a class, and each student is going to walk away with something different. So it's, it's an amazing experience.
0: As I mentioned, a lot of people think that youth leadership is for the middle school and especially the high school level. But how do you see, um, how do you see that playing out at the elementary school level at LA's Best?
5: You know, um, I see we are planting the seed so we are preparing students uh, for that middle school adventure that high school adventure um, and in LA's best we do provide them with uh, an opportunity to be comfortable uh, to speak out and say I like this I don't like this I'd like to change this um, this isn't working for me and so we as staff uh, are very curious to know why they, they, they think the way they do and uh, what can we do to uh, make their experience better um, again in, so that they can apply this to their middle school experience and their high school experience. So they start very early, and I think we, we really are planting that seed to make them great leaders.
0: When you were, were in the program yourself, yes. did you have any experiences uh, that, where you actually got to you know, make up an activity or choose something to do? Um, That wasn't in the plan already?
5: Yes. Um, And I'm going to tell you a quick story, which I don't know if I've told you this yet, but um, when I was in fourth grade, uh, we have, which we currently still have, a science program. um, And I thought to myself as a fourth grade student, I'm scared of science. I don't want to do it, you know. And uh, I had fabulous mentors and coaches, Guilla Pulido being one of them. um, And she really helped me. Um, go in there and challenge myself, you know, I challenged myself, um, and it was the most amazing experience, I hear her crying, is she crying? <laughs> um, uh, I had the most amazing experience, I, w- I participated in the LA's Best Science Fair, I had the opportunity to present my project in front of hundreds of people, now, I, I think back now, and I'm thinking I was a little fourth grade person, you know, talking to hundreds of people, and LA's Best provided me with one of the most a- amazing experiences of my life, which is uh, that I got to go to space camp in Huntsville, Alabama with my mom. And it's an an experience that was life-changing, I have to say.
0: And I'm going to – we're going off our script here now. We are, actually. Um, I want to actually, like, uh, reframe the question a little bit because I think that what you just described is an amazing example of the LA's Best Program mm-hmm. and the plans that they have. Mm-hmm. There's a science program, yes. there's a science fair, kids get to go to space camp yes. if they win, and all that stuff. And, that's, and that was something that was, that was in the plan, you know, and you got to participate mm-hmm. in that, which was amazing. I don't take mm-hmm. anything away from it. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily an example of where you thought, you had an idea as a little oh, kid. Mm-hmm. You had an idea, mm-hmm. I want to do this, and then you have to actually pursue it. Right. And I'm going to give you a little hint, because you told me a story that you might not be remembering right okay. now about music okay. and starting a... Oh, yes. 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 that story okay
5: so you'd like me to share the other <laughs> story <laughs> um so in uh, i believe i was in third grade maybe fourth uh and uh a group of girls uh may, there were five of us we were called the langdon stars uh, or that's what we uh became eventually um, we had an idea we wanted to form a singing group Uh, and we didn't know how to do it, but we wanted to form a singing group, and at the site, our coaches helped us, and there was one person in particular uh, who played the piano. One of our coaches played the piano. Um, He was actually staff at the school, Mm -hmm. and he found out that we wanted to, you know, do something with music, and uh, next thing you know, we're singing for the mayor, um, my, you know, my mom is curling our hair, <laughs> a lot of parent support, um, and we became the Langdon stars. So that was an idea that was just, you know, we, we, something we wanted to do and it became a reality. And again, another amazing experience for me. So it's just those thoughts and ideas that I know my counselors or my coaches at the time thought, you know what? She wants to do this. Let's help her. Let's, let's see what we can do. And it happened. It, it happened. And, and
0: the fact that it happened to me is the, the crucial part because, I mean, how many of us when we were in fourth grade wanted to be in a band, right? Yes. How many of us wanted to be rock stars? Um, we
5: still are, Eric. We still are.
0: <laughs> I feel one right now. I'm on the stage with a mic. I'm a rock star, right? Um, but some, there was a couple things that happened in that program that you, you all had this, this idea yes. as, as 10-year-olds. Yes. And then somebody heard that idea, and then someone took it seriously, mm-hmm. and they helped you make it a reality. Someone cared. So, yes. Someone cared. Someone cared. So I want to I wanna ask you about one link in that chain, and that is the, the part where the staff person is actually learning what kids are interested in. Not what, what youth are interested in these days, but what the individuals in their group actually care about. So um, I want to ask you, how do you as a staff person – How do you learn about what kids are interested in or what they care about?
5: So LA's Best, um, we we really work with uh, people from the community. And what I mean by that is, a lot of our staff uh, live in the community. They come from the communities in which they uh, work And So uh, me being one of them, I I live in the community in which I work. And so we know a little bit about uh, our kids and what they like and what what surrounds them, uh, what limits they have, uh, what resources they have, what they don't have. Um, And with that, we, we take what we know and our experiences um, and we combine it with what our students' needs are and what their interests are. And it's just a melting pot of, uh, and it, it's a relationship uh, that just becomes solid. And um, she didn't want us to mention her, but uh, I have to use Mesquilla Pulido as an example. Uh, this is someone that, you know, knew my community, knew uh, what my limits were, knew what resources resources I had, exposed me to new experiences. She knew what I liked and what I didn't like. You know, how many people, you know, know that? Nobody, nobody but that second family you have. So we really are about getting to know our students. You know, why don't they like this? You know, we question. We're, we're very curious about what their interests are and how we can apply their interests into our activities. So
0: Thanks. And I, I think that's a, a great example of what can be the power of after school where we don't have all of the pressures to stay in this open sequence of a particular curriculum at every given moment and we can actually know right. the kids that we work with and we can actually find out what they're thinking and feeling.
5: And, and what's amazing about that is that every day is a new day in LA's best. So, you know, as the community evolves and as the community changes and as the students evolve and as the student change, our program changes and it becomes better and better. So, you know, it's not monotone. Every year, something new happens because the students are evolving and the students are growing and our staff are evolving and our staff are growing, which makes our staff um, motivated and and they want to come back year after year. And, you know, I've been with, uh, as uh, working for the program for eight years, I say I'm... I call myself the product of LA's best um, because I am, you know, I've worked with the program for eight years and I practically lived in the program when I was younger. So um, it really is a changing program that only makes students better.
0: Lorena, thank you so much.
5: You're very welcome. We really went off script today.
0: Yeah. (laughs) The point of all the preparation of having a script is so that we can forget about it. Right. We forgot the script. We really did. So um, I would next like to bring up our high school representatives. And um, in a moment, I'm going to bring up Michi Olivo and Sarah Meyer. Michi is a recent alumni of New Urban Arts, a community-based arts program in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. Sarah Meyer is the program director at New Urban Arts. And New Urban Arts is a real example of a program that focuses entirely on providing young people a means to pursue their passion and their creative work. So let's hear from Michi and Sarah. Come on up. So Michi, let's start with you. Um, Could you just tell us a little bit about what is the environment like at New Urban Arts?
6: Um, Hi, everyone. Good morning. Um, New Urban Arts is is like a... It is a drop-in center, and when you, like, open the door, there's a calendar, and... um, in the calendar, there are uh, there's a list of, uh, like, medias of art that are programmed for that day, like film, um, poetry, uh, a sculpture, a whole bunch of things, anything besides theater. And um, when you, like, go in there, everyone, like, has a big smile, and they want to say hi and give you a hug, depending on the day, but mostly every day. And it's just a comfortable environment where you can just have fun and just be who you are. It's sort of like whatever you feel like doing. So if I leave school and I feel like making a movie, I will just look at that and look at the time, whether it's 3 to 5 or 5 to 7, and I'll say, hey, I want to make a movie today. And I'll just go to the mentor and say, I want to make a movie today. And, and you
0: participated in Urban Arts for a while. What, what kept you coming back?
6: I remember the first time uh, I ever looking at the program list, and I was very interested in film. And I talked to the program manager, and I was like, I want to do film. And he's like, oh, I know the mentor for that. So we sat in a table the first day, and we talked about all the types of genres we like and movies we want to do. And the first movie we ever did was a horror movie. And it was, it was really crazy. We shot it in the basement, and it was very funny and scary at the same time, but very funny. And after that experience, I knew I had to come back.
0: It, it seems to me, and, and I've, I've visited the program before, it seems to me like there are endless options. There's a lot of different options. Is there, is there a downside to having so many options. We, we talk about lots of opportunities for choice, but it's like when there's so many things to constantly choose from, is, is that hard in any way for anybody, for you or your, or your peers?
6: Um, I will speak from my personal experience. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, I want to do two things at once, and it's like I want to do film, uh, but I want to do sculpture. Um, and, and sometimes what will work, I can do half of it, so I can... Uh, let my mentor know, hey, can I do half of this and half of that, and that would be no problem. Um, the difficulties with the many options is sometimes, um, from my experience, that I will overwork myself, although I love doing it, but like, sometimes people are like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, 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 I totally love doing this. And I guess that would be the downside, just like doing everything at once, although I love it, so it's not a downside for me.
0: And you've also been involved with, um, with helping to sort of make some decisions in the program through the youth board. Can you talk a little bit about what the youth board is?
6: Our uh, youth board is called STAB, Student Team Advisory Board. And, uh, you said it's called STAB? Yes, yeah, STAB. Okay. Um, student Team Advisory Board. And we meet every two weeks, and we talk about uh, programs that we want to have, or not programs, events. Like um, like what the themes are gonna be. Uh, we have this event called the lock-in, and it's an event. You guys know what a lock-in is, right? Sort of. Does anybody know what a lock-in is? Cause I don't. I, c- I could explain it. Could you? Um, <laughs> it's sort of like a huge party that lasts from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. and the doors are locked and. Um... That's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it's really fun. Uh, last year we like at two in the morning there was like this rock band and we we're just like going crazy and having a blast and like i mean by 6 a.m we were like on the floor like crying but it, it was like a fun time and we planned stuff like that mm-hmm.
0: so um and what's the role of adults in the youth board like how, how what role do they play in supporting the youth board
6: uh they facilitate so uh It's youth-led, and um, the adults, they're timekeepers. And also, when we can't come to an agreement, uh, they're also the peacemakers.
0: Sarah, we've talked a little bit about the the adult role in the youth board, but just in general, in in creating a program that has um, so so much youth leadership and so much youth participation and involvement, um, how do you see the, the role of the adults in facilitating youth collaborating with each other?
4: Right, so well, first of all i didn't come up I'm the program director, but I didn't come up with the name stab that was students. They came up with the acronym and then found the the term to oh wow it. okay they they say we like to stab the studio and i i I think it's a loving term really, but um sure. is how they mean it but so that's an example um we had a uh, youth and art. before we even started our youth board we had youth who were initiating community building events or um, different programs or opportunities but they were working in maybe silos and so our youth board brought all these voices together so they could communicate um, the students coordinating the lock-in and the students coordinating Um, The how-to fair or the zine fair or whatever they came up with that year could be in conversation together. One of our alumni students is the chair of that board. And uh, it's usually someone who recently graduated from high school who facilitates each meeting. And then um, I think the adult role, which would be me or the the mentor that they work with. um, And I think there's this idea that youth boards need an adult to keep them on task or emphasize follow-through on their ideas, but what I find um, is maybe more uh, of a need is uh, help. uh, Michi mentioned the peacemaker idea and just helping us learn to work together. Um, I find that that's not just important for youth boards, but any adult board I've ever seen or any kind of committee work, um, whether there's uh, disagreements that are obvious are not just this idea of learning to work with people who work in different ways than you. Um, when I was a high school student I remember any leadership opportunities I had um, in groups it would always fall down on one person in the end um, and I think that's a missed opportunity to learn how to work together as a group. So we have um, adults facilitating retreats that build a sense of group unity amongst our youth board and um, create a sense of self-awareness and other awareness amongst the youth who are collaborating together.
0: And with, with putting young people so much in the lead, um, you know, that doesn't come naturally for all of us. Most of us were raised in sort of traditional educational environments where the teacher's in charge and the teacher has a certain amount of knowledge and information they're transmitting to the students. Um, how do you keep all of the adults in, on the same page about this other kind of paradigm that you're working from?
4: Right. We, uh, well, we build, a, we build and support a, um, a network uh, for the adults in the room. They come together every month for, you know, what we call mentor meetings. Um, we have two-day orientations, mid-year retreats. We have what we call arts mentoring fellows who serve as thinking partners for the organization about the work that we're doing, also artists in residence. Um, but they do one-on-one and informal group coaching with our mentors, so we have mentors for our mentors. And um, and you know, I think you know someone recently asked like, how would you describe your professional development program? Um, and I think the words that describe it best is this idea of like we grapple with it together. So instead of you know, we don't prescribe to our young people what to do. Um, Michi mentioned that we have. Uh, on our board every day, a list of the mentors in the room and their specialties, for example, film. But uh, often our students will veer off course. And, you know, we had one student who spent an entire year making a video arcade out of duct tape. And we didn't have a duct tape mentor or a video arcade game mentor. But we did have artists who um, were, you know, could help them think through the measurements or, I don't know, just... Some of like the technical aspects of building three d work um, and so uh, I guess like if we don 't expect youth if we don 't prescribe a way for youth um, to follow a script of learning, then you know we can 't do the same for the adults that work with us, and so we don 't you know give them a worksheet on how to be a mentor, um, but we just spend time with them. Um, thinking through their work together um, in our program, and we found that that's, I guess, a way to keep on the same page. You know, for example, we had a mentor who worked with us who um, came after the end of the day mentoring our students was just exhausted. And her fellow was working with her, and I was working with her, and um, trying to figure out what was going on. And there were a couple things um, that became obvious, like her students kept sending her to get supplies for them, so she was running back and forth through our supply closet each day where, you know, youth should feel agency in our studio to get the supplies that they want. Um, they, nothing is in locked cabinets. They have access to the supplies that they need for their projects. And, um, and they, weren't, they didn't know her name. They were calling her Miss a lot. And I think, the, you know, those were just a couple of the signs where she wasn't building a reciprocal relationship And so she was walking away drained. And by the end of the year, um, she was able to build really meaningful relationships with youth, not just for them, but for her as well. It inspired her um, art making. It also inspired her um, as a teacher. So uh, after volunteering with our program for years, she decided to go to graduate school to become a teacher. Um, but it's not like she figured that out on day one. It was like a, through a sustained amount of involvement, um, being engaged not just as a teacher but being engaged as a learner in our program that she came to that place.
0: It's awesome, thank you. And Sarah and Michi, thank you very much.: <laughs> uh, If we could have one more big round of applause for all of our brave panelists here. I I really want to thank each of you for being so brave as to be up here on the stage, um, you know, without necessarily knowing what was going to happen. We had a lot of preparatory conversations, but in each of them I said, you know, we don't know exactly what it's going to be because that's what a real conversation is. Um, And that, that took some courage. So thank you. We're really not just here to talk about youth voice and choice and leadership opportunities and after school programs. We're here to change the world and change our communities. And so I want my hats off to all of you for doing that work day in and day out and enjoy the rest of the conference.